Hey gang, welcome to episode 175 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you, with the support of the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts. More on that in a moment. This week on the show, our friend Jesse Damiani returns. Uh, Jesse uh, is uh, he's he's a VR man about town. Uh, writes for Forbes, and uh, but the the reason why we had him on this time was Jesse put together this really fantastic VR, AR, I guess we even say XR now art ex- exhibition. It's hard to say XR art exhibition. Say that three times fast. Uh, over in Pasadena. Uh, called a spatial reality. It was running during October, and uh, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, got me really excited about it. Uh, Jesse's introduced us to uh, some some folks uh, via that, and I just wanted to have him over uh, to talk about what he had done, where things are going with VR and XR, and and as we are wont to do, Jesse and I, our conversation just went, went hither and yon, kind of here and there and everywhere. Uh, so it's gonna be one of those episodes, and it is enhanced by um, by 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 a beer selection. So <laughs> I'm not gonna get into the details on that because we get into the details right at the top. So but the first five minutes is like a beer podcast, and then we do no proscenium. Um, I'm not apologizing because um, it's quite enjoyable. All right, uh, let's get to some of the business at hand. First up, I said I was gonna mention it. And indeed, I am. The Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts is our sponsor for uh, November through dis- into parts of December. Um, the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts is seeking emerging media arts professors and pioneers. Uh, the program is a newly established $57 million facility. F- and academic degree at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and it's re-envisioning the university for the 21st century and how students learn. They're looking for a pioneering faculty team to reimagine how stories are told across a continuum from live performance to immersive and interactive media, cinema arts, virtual and mixed reality, gaming, extended theater, sonic arts, physical computing, data and art, and spatial and experience design. Now you see why I took the breath. For more information or to apply, visit go.unl.edu slash Carson Center faculty. For questions, contact Megan Elliott, Director, Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts at megan.elliott at unl.edu. And of course, the links in the show notes. All right. Indeed, I hope this is helping them find the faculty. If if you know someone uh, who would be appropriate. Uh, give them a shout and uh, tell them to go go check out the program. It's it's quite exciting what they're what they're doing out there. Uh, and uh, if there's one thing I believe, it's that uh, this work should not be just happening on in the coasts. It should be happening everywhere because that's how we fix things over the long haul. Hey, um, we've got No Pro Live coming up on January 5th at 2-Bit Circus. Um, That's here in Los Angeles. 
that's uh, also going to have an everything immersive meetup. Uh, who are the guests on No Pro Live? Uh, I haven't booked it yet. Uh, so there you go. You'll get more in a bit. Just one thing at a time because there's all this other stuff going on. For instance, today is the deadline. Yes, really. No, seriously this time because uh, we, we can't leave it open anymore. Uh, for the Immersive Design Summit, this is your last chance to get in an application. Um, if you've been thinking about it and like, oh, I don't know if I want to or not, um, just check out everyone we've announced. Uh, this week we just announced uh, that uh, David Reynoso, uh, who is the uh, the creator of Waking La Llorona, uh, Oh God, did I, did I just butcher that? There's a very good chance that I butchered that. Uh, anyway, we just announced that, uh, David is, uh, coming on board. Uh, he's going to be one of our speakers. Uh, I'm super excited about that because that show was one of my absolute favorites of last year. Um, last year, was it just last year? Oh my God. Uh, the crazy thing is like time. I don't even, I don't even have to finish that sentence. Everyone knows exactly what I mean when I just say time. Time has changed. Time has changed deeply. Um, okay, so we announced David. We also announced Ethan Stearns, uh, who heads up Immersive at Madison Wells Media. Uh, so, you know, maybe uh, maybe we're not done. Maybe we're not done announcing people. Maybe we got some more things in the back pocket. Um, and by when I say maybe, I mean we definitely do. Okay, so, but today is the last day. So immersivedesignsummit.com to do that. All right. Um, another thing, something I'm going to announce right now. We don't have uh, the post up yet, but we will. Uh, and by we, I mean I'm taking off the No Pro hat and I'm taking off the Immersive Design Summit hat and I'm taking off, oh, what's that hat? Oh, let's not talk about that hat. And I'm putting on the Leia cap. Leia, the League of Experiential and Immersive Artists, of which I am uh, a founding member. I'm not the only member. Um, so people are like, what's the difference? And I'm like, well, one's a committee. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I am not a committee. Anyway, um, doing Leia's lines with a mild version of Han's voice. Okay. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you something. I'm trying to tell you. Uh, and it was actually linked off of Ethan Stearns. So Ethan Stearns is uh, is the head of Immersive over at Madison Wells Media and is the executive producer not just of Carnegie Arena, but also of Chained, a Victorian nightmare, which opens this week in L.A. Our review is up on the blog. And on the blog, I hate saying that, on the site. There we go. Much better. Um, and... Uh, the director of and creator of Chained is Justin Denton, uh, who's been on the show before. And indeed, when we had Justin on the show, he like showed me the concept art for Chained like right afterwards. So I've been like giddy about this. And indeed, uh, when they release more tickets on January first, if you're in town, you should you know get those tickets. Okay, there's that. The reason I'm telling you this is that Justin, along with uh, actors Haley Nichelle and Michael Bates, who originated the roles in this piece. It's this VR uh, immersive theater hybrid. Uh, they have agreed to uh, do a uh, talkback town hall session uh, for Leia on December 10th. We're going to be at Thymele Arts in uh, East Hollywood, and it's going to be a $5 cover uh, because, uh, hey, Thymele has rent and we're using their space. So guess how that works? So $5 cover at the door, uh, cash or Venmo. And, um, 
I don't know. I feel weird when I say stuff like that. Um, I'll get used to it. And uh, I believe that uh, uh, we will be, no, not believe, I know, we're going to be hanging out afterwards. So uh, there's going to be about an hour of uh, the talkback session. And uh, then there's going to be, you know, uh, mingling. So come on down. Uh, there are, there's still no official membership process for Leia yet. That's coming. Um, cause we got to make it all legal. Like that process is actually going, we might have a little bit of an update for you by the December 10th too. Um, but, uh, yeah, come on down. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be good. Uh, this is where things are going in the hybrid space. So, uh, no, there will not be audio recorded. This will not be a no pro podcast because this is a Leia thing and not a no pro thing. Okay. There you go. Time to update the status on the Patreon, and the status is pretty good, actually. Uh, We're back above the 1,250. We're up to 1,260 right now with 214 backers. Uh, The first of the month is coming, so there's probably going to be a little bit of shakeup. So next week, I'll be like, guys, we lost like 20 bucks. Um, so this is, this is always a good time to jump on like right before the end of the month, because, uh, then, you know, the payment cycle happens So by good time. I mean, a good time for me, um, check it out. Uh, the episode you're going to listen to is recorded with the new equipment, which was purchased by y'all. Um, and some of the y'all who have helped that out, uh, and who jumped in right now, uh, here's the new folks, uh, Ariella Furman, Steve Boyle, hey Steve, uh, Folly Games, Bryant Palmer, uh, Juliana of the Wild Optimist, hey Juliana, uh, and last but not least, this time out, our friends from Room Escape Artist, who, if you you click around on Patreon, well, I don't I don't want to steal their thunder, but um, just you know, they're they have a Patreon account uh, to give money now, uh, at least at the very least, that's one thing they do with their Patreon account. Wink, wink, wink. Um, indeed. More on that later. Uh, room escape artists are our friends uh, who cover uh, the escape room world and uh, are our uh, co-admins on Everything Immersive, the Facebook group that so many of you uh, participate in, uh, of which we are very thankful. Now's the part where I do the sustaining backers of No Persinium. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Again, thank you guys for being the bedrock on which this rests. Okay, I do believe that is now all of the business. Our business is concluded. And now, if, you know, whether whether you drink alcohol or not, I encourage you, find yourself a favorite beverage. Uh, if, if you don't drink alcohol, but maybe drink hot chocolate or coffee, I've got my yes, please coffee right now. Uh, you know, go, go get your favorite beverage and, uh, join us on the other side of this music as Jesse Damiani and I talk about all things, uh, immersive technological. See you on the other side. That that is Bess. Hi, Bess. Um, that we are recording. So that's Bess the Porg that you got there, Jesse. No, Bess the Porg. Um, hey. Um, okay, now we can finally do this. All right. All right. So, but right, right, right by the yeah, yeah. yeah P, P screen here. Ready? On three. One, two, three. Nice. Such a comforting sound, isn't it? Though. 
So tonight we're drinking stone chocolate. What that do you think? Delicious. Isn't it though? Thank you, Stone Beer. Stone Chocavesa, Imperial Stout inspired by Mexican hot chocolate. Stout brewed with chocolate, coffee, pasilla peppers, vanilla, cinnamon, and nutmeg. It is a winter beer. It is <laughs> it is their winter beer. It is my favorite beer. Cut to the stone HQ being like, we've <laughs> got to get this guy on the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wish I wish Stone making one of my sponsors, but only only during the winter months. Literally picked this up on my birthday because I think uh, that's when it starts. Because that's when you could legally drink this past birthday. Exactly. Congratulations. I know. 21. It's, I mean. Forever 21. It's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The cold open lets you know who's sitting across from me, of course. That other voice is Jesse Damiani. It's been a while since uh, we've sat down. When was the last time? It was here. Did we, do the, did we do the podcast here? No, or we just no, hung out here? we hung out here. We did the podcast at Think Tank. That's right. And it was after, I don't know when exactly, but it was after Sundance 2017. So oh it's been, it's we're closing in on two years. Closing in on two years, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, we're friends. We've been friends a while. Yeah, we have been. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Um, I'm excited that I can introduce you to this beer because it's always fun to introduce people to it. It's life. delicious. Isn't it though? I have to say I'm impressed. Yeah. This was, um, I'm going for it. This started out as a uh, collaboration between Stone and Insurgente, which is down in Baja. Mm. And it was uh, the collaboration around Stone's annual homebrew contest. So a home brewer came up with this formula. Wow. And the deal is that Stone, each year, they they only do the homebrew pressing or brewing uh, what are bottling bottling? Yes. They only bottle it for that year and they never make it again. That was a, almost five years ago. Right. I want to say four or five years ago. Um, so what happened was one, the first time I ever had it was at the dearly departed, uh, oinkster on vine, which is now gone. The Hollywood oinkster is gone. And I had it on draft. And I read it, read what it was. It was like, you know, we've got a Mexican hot chocolate, you know, milk stout, coffee stout. And I was like, okay, those were all my favorite words. (laughs) But like, how can that be good? Because you're just, you're lying to me. And it was exactly this. It was the most amazing beer I'd ever had. Definitely the most amazing stout I'd ever had. And then I went on a tear trying to find it and I would go to the craft beer stores and the craft beer owner guys would be like, oh yeah, that stuff. Oh my God. We got it in and then it went out so fast. We're hoping they make some more, but they never make that stuff again. Cut it's like such one sauce. Yeah. No, it really was. And then um, cut to a year later, they decided to bring it back, which they never do. Cut to a year after that. That was the year that it was in the bottle packs at Costco. Like just year over year, they just keep on making more of it. This is the first year they put it in cans. Mm. So there's also bourbon barrel aged uh, ones that they put out and a uh, tequila barrel aged one that they'll put out. Um, so yeah, you know this very well. Oh, this is my beer and no one else is really making Mexican hot chocolate, uh, stouts. And now every craft brewery tries their hand at making this formula, but it's a torchbearer. Yeah. Stone is just a torchbearer. So good. I'm serious. I will not be surprised if stone follows up with you. <laughs> no, we need a lot. We need about 10 times the size of the podcast. Like, all we'd have to do really is just make this whole episode always circle back to this beer. Oh, it, and then I bet we can make it happen. I That's can, the new goal. I can do that. 
We could even pretend like we can even pretend like it's already sponsored by Stone (laughs) and be really appreciative of Stone for sponsoring this episode. (laughs) Get them to plug it on social. That would be amazing. You know, okay. well, you know, there'll be a story later because and I think, you know what, there's a way to make it segue, but I'm not going to say how. So I'm going to naturally bring this back Mm. if I can. You're a creative man. If we go there, I know how I'm going to do it, but we got to get there naturally. Okay. So we've now spent four minutes talking about beer um, and everyone's like, good God, not this bullshit again. But this is an after dark episode, so they're used to it by now. Um, and they're also playing Guyan by the beer. <laughs> pairings, pairings. Um, you're, you've been running around a lot. You had like a month. That's just comic books. Don't worry about it. Uh, you had like a month long um, gallery show going on in Pasadena, Spatial Reality. I did. I got to check it out. Sadly, I've been running around so much. I didn't get to write it up. It deserved a full write-up. I appreciate that. Um, for everyone who didn't get a go chance to see, like, what was it? What was this thing that you managed to to put together? Because it well, was impressive. Yeah, I and and a, just a a storm of of miracle people. Um, basically, it was, uh, you know, an art show that was that was showcasing the gamut of. Um, what immersive art could be broadly put. So we had everything from projection maps to augmented reality prints to standalone augmented reality apps that you could kind of move around the space with to um, 3D sculpts of sculptures made using VR sculpting apps all the way up to, of course, virtual reality and even a hyper-reality experience that was tracked to some bleachers in the space itself. Um... And uh, I can't take credit for sort of the inciting incident. Um, the gallery itself, Space Gallery, is is owned and housed within a um, a creative agency called Eisenberg. Eric Eisenberg, of of Eisenberg fame, had the idea for a VR art show and farmed it down to the gallery manager. She didn't really know where to begin with this because obviously VR and AR art is really weird and elusive and kind of lives off to the left of the traditional fine art establishment. And through a you know series of connections, uh, my name ended up in front of her, and then we kind of hit the ground running. Um, and uh, as it turned out, it was something that I'd always really wanted to exist. Mm. So it was really synchronous because I'd really felt like, particularly art that we would like dub fine art. Um, I've really been seeing some incredible stuff happening over the past two years, and it just keeps getting better. And um, it was time. It was time people were familiar enough with VR and AR. It wasn't quite so novelty feeling. Um, and uh, yeah, I saw that play out in the experience of the show itself. Like even people who were trying VR for the first time there, it was like, they weren't like, ooh, what is this thing? They kind of knew, but they were just like, okay, what do I do? Yeah. And that was a really encouraging thing to see. I think the thing that I was impressed the most by, and granted, I got to play around Magic Leap and... And that sure. was that was something that the Eisenberg people had designed, and, and it was a the, the the experience, and that was cool. And, and maybe we'll talk some more about that. But we'll definitely, I think we'll definitely talk about Magic Leap right now, uh, not right now, but soon. Sure. But it was the AR enhanced prints mm. that I was shockingly impressed with because AR through the phone. I mean, look. The, the iPhone's got it pretty good right now. I can play Dejaric, which is like the hollow chest from Star Wars. Like I can do that in the phone if I want to. I do it for about, I did it for about five minutes one day and then I got bored. 
Um, there's that game, The Machines, which is like kind of really cool. Again, did it for about five minutes. Like I buy the apps, I play with them, and then I put them away and I never break them back out because yeah. like that's kind of gadget head I am, right? It's like I'm curious, but it doesn't bring me back. There was this one print. It was a, what, a seven or nine panel print? Ten panel. Ten panel. Thirteen feet. Thirteen feet long, ten fan panel print. The artist is like a comic book illustrator. Is one of their methodologies. It had this very Aeon Flux kind of vibe mm. to it. Mm. And by itself, and this I think is key, by itself that print was gorgeous. Just a beautiful print that evoked a world. But when you broke out the app, it animated the print. It, it even added extra elements in and changed the way the print exists in the world, created another layer. You know, it augmented the reality of that print. <laughs> but, but finally, in a way that was like, this is fucking cool. Like, this is actually cool as opposed to, oh, look, it's telling me how far to walk to to get to McDonald's or the nearest Starbucks. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you go back to that, you know, Google Glass fake like video that they made years ago right. or the stuff that folks down in Brazil have been doing to show like the horrors of AR and just this idea. And even people will say like, oh, yeah, you know, they're going to be the headset. And then like, you know, everywhere you go, it's going to be ads, 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 ads. Right. And I'm like, oh, why would we ever want to do that? But seeing videos of people like animating tattoos and this was, but or animating a painting or just bringing extra life to a piece of art in the style of the art, in the vision of the artist to like go beyond that right there. I, I would, I would give almost anything to walk around with something like a magic leap or something like a, a pass through VR setup in a museum, in a gallery and, you know, be able to like, scroll back through the creation of a painting right like let's stand in front of oh yeah let's stand in front of the mona lisa hit a button and like from blank canvas on up oh right? yeah right i mean how soothing is it to watch you know, vfx like reels where you watch them like build the entire thing from right. nothing and go back and back and back well imagine getting to do that like walking up to i mean this would be purely theoretical but walk up to michelangelo's david and watch it go from you know, someone's someone's idea of what it was from a block a of slab, marble. Yeah. yeah, a slab down. That'd yeah. be tight. And with, with original works by people who are alive now, you could do it for real. Totally. Uh, so, so many points. My mind's like sort of little little tessellates going in different directions. Go I'll, be, I'll be succinct. Um, no, no, no. You, you go along, I'll drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so to this, so that, that print, by the way, is by an artist named Sutu. Who happens to also be the founder of an app called iJack? That's I like your eyeball, not the letter. Oh, that's why it's on iJack, and that's why it's so good on iJack. Yeah, and the thing is, the thing that's that I noticed about iJack that makes it a very special AR app is it he creates shows or events or whatever for the individual thing that it, that you know. So, for instance, he made a spatial reality um, event on iJack. And then when you went to launch the augmented reality, it would download a small package to the phone or the tablet or whatever, which meant that it's querying a local file, not a database. And so the tracking for that point could be so integrated. And this is my this is my projection. Maybe this is totally off, but mm. I noticed that the tracking on iJack is far and away better than any other uh, 2D AR um, 
platform that I had used up to that point or specifically for this show. Um, and part of that, part of what that allowed is actually people are going up with their phones. And of course there's this audio component. So you get a little bit more of a world aspect just with that little audio. Yeah. Um, but then beyond that with the tablet and the phone, people were getting up closer to look at the augmented elements. And when they did that and when I did that, I started noting aspects of the print that I didn't when I took the print in in full from standing further back. It actually created a vector around that print where you would start far back and and push in closer to see what the augmentation was. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't notice the look on that guy's face. Or like, oh, I didn't know that there's a little black sort of shading outline to that machine. Or I didn't notice X, Y, Z. Wow. Um, so it really, it really struck me that that use case, which some people might look at and, and, and kind of say like, oh, well, I've kind of seen that X, Y, Z. It's like, no, there's actually a way to use an existing framework like a 2D augmentation and cause people to engage with the IRL aspects differently. Um, and now what you're talking about blasting out into when we actually have a good headset, you know, when we start having like um, mesh computing using cell towers and 5G. And so we don't have to have a lot of the compute on board the device. And so it's more like glasses and X, Y, Z. Um, we definitely, I mean, that's of course sort of the, the dream and the North star. But one thing that I think is kind of interesting is in the moments when we're in this VHS moment of VR and AR, <laughs> where like we finally sure got not, consumer tech. Sure, but it's not. Sure, it's not Betamax. It might be Betamax. I think, I think it's Betamax. Maybe maybe, maybe could, Oculus Quest is VHS. Could moment. be could be those the, those V those those old picture discs. I don't know if you were familiar with these. I'm not. Oh yeah, they, they ran a needle to play a movie, but that's that's another thing entirely. Wow, it's real. I always thought that I had dreamt it, and then I found someone who collected. <laughs> so. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go look at that. Yeah, but, but yeah. now they're in this moment, the Betamax moment. Yeah, so we're in the Betamax moment, and um, there's something kind of wonderful and um, almost quaint in a retrofuturistic way. Like we can already see what it's going to become. We already know what we want the North Star to be, mm -hmm. i.e., like lightweight glasses, potentially even contacts. There's people testing retinal implants. Whatever Ooh. it will be, I know that's gets a little dicey, but think about the things you brought into your life that somebody a hundred years ago would be freaked out by. So I always wonder, I mean, humans are evolving uh, psychically a lot faster than, than we realize. Implantation is always where I draw the line. If only because man, I don't want to catch a computer virus. It's true. It would be really shitty to catch a computer yeah. virus. If I can't, if, if the, the ability to like take it and throw it off your body, right. right? You know, that's. That's, I know little people ultimately, you know, go, go for it, you know, get the nanite swarm, you know, operating mesh networking with their brain, the whole nine yards. But like, you know, when they catch the McDonald's flu and, uh, you know, dump out the happy value meal, uh, <laughs> menu every five minutes right. uh, to whoever might be passing by, they're right. going to regret it a lot. Right. I mean, we know this and like there's certain things that we that are sort of easy touchstones for like the dystopic component of AR and particularly when you combine that with data. Um, the, the place where they'll get us, quote unquote, and where we'll have to deal with the cultural values around it is safety. They always get you with safety. So the way it'll start is the way it started with Facebook saying, hey, we're going to start monitoring correspondence to make sure that. Um, there's no risk of suicide. Mm -hmm. Most people hear that and they're like, great. 
Um, but that semantic analysis data isn't just like, it's not like they're exclusively cutting it off. Like, well, if it doesn't have to do with suicide, we're not even going to look at it. It's not how it works. Nope. And if anything, there's no, they it's, these are algorithms that they're only passingly aware of, <laughs> of how they are even working at all. Um, so with safety, what happens is it becomes integrated because people are like, I want the safety from the safety. Enough people start to have it that it normalizes. Then it goes to convenience and then it goes to this point where it's inescapable. Um, and see, for me, it's just, if they just tell me everywhere you look, you'll see a porg. I'm like, cool. <laughs> Inject me now. I put all <laughs> of the implants. <laughs> I want to see porgs as people. <laughs> yeah. Just porgs everywhere. Or rather people as porgs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I want to be able to like tap, tap my temple and <laughs> jump between Gotham City and Coruscant. You I know, mean, I'm okay, you but know. here's the thing. Doot, doot. You're, you're oh, goofing. Jesse is a Wookiee. You're goofing, but doot, think doot. about it. Jesse Imagine is an orc. <laughs> Jesse's an elf. No, wait, that's reality. He's just an elf. <laughs> no, but that would actually be, say you were somebody for whom you actually, like, say you actually would res respond to me better if I were a porg or a Wookiee. <laughs> then that actually wouldn't be a terrible use case. It's a little weird, but if you were seeing me as a porg or a Wookiee, boom, you're deeper in the conversation. I'm not, I'm not they, advocating for people's it. anxiety, social anxiety. Like, oh, absolutely. Like we solve social anxiety. It's the classic, like, and then I saw everyone in their underwear. When exactly. In a speech, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, and with deep fakes, you could do that, right? You're walking around. Ooh, there's, deep that's fakes. some dark, there's that's some the darkness. One. That's the one. This is the episode no one's ready for because I, we, <laughs> I don't usually go full tech nerd on the podcast. Right. And so like, I don't think everyone is happening. It's happening. I don't think people are ready for this. Um, but they're here now. Okay, where we're the stuck. hell were we? Where were we? Um, um, augmented uh, Sutu? Oh, Sutu. Yeah. Um, who's awesome. Shout out Sutu. Um, and also, while I'm here, shout out Riot for printing off that beautiful, beautiful print. And shout out Robert Meyer Studio for being for, for printing it out. Riot put forward the resources. RMS Digital uh, made it. And it was really just a gorgeous piece of art. Um I remember where we were. So I'm really attracted to these kind of quaint moments because they're fleeting in the same way that we look back at, you know, blowing into Nintendo cartridges or, you know, trying to rewind the home video tape to get it to play right or doing the tracking on the VCR. These are not things that are functional by any stretch and I don't miss them in a literal present sense, but I do have nostalgia for them. So in a sort of future forward, you know, Ret as I'm saying, retro future, but like present tense. Um, You're getting nostalgia for this moment as it's happening. Exactly. And, and there's, there are things about it that when they're gone, it, like for instance, if when you have it on your face and you go up to a painting uh, and you lose some of that, that detail you notice because you've reframed a framed work in a framed object rather than an immersive headset, there's a chance you won't perceive it the same way. So, I'm choosing to be very grateful for those things while I'm also full steam ahead on the vision that magically HoloLens, you know, and in the background snap and, and Apple want to exist and Facebook. Yeah. And Google and Google Fang. That acronym is like so perfect. It hurts. Fang. I don't know. F A A N G Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Oh, I've never heard that until right now. Well, you're welcome. Fang. Yep. That's like an initiative Cobra came up with in the 80s. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> 
Only Destro, <laughs> I've got the perfect plan. Here's how we're going to do it. First off, we're going to make sure everyone has one of Dr. Mindbender's computers. Um, that was more like Mark Hamill doing Cobra Commander. Gotta admit, he'd probably get the job now, right? Mm. If they did it again. Um, I like Jesse's political turn- activist Mark Hamill. Oh, well... Yes, we try not to get political on the show mostly because I, that keeps me from ranting. Got it. Um, but I concur, so um, we'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. Mm. I mean, look, I, I I imagine there's maybe one or two people you know share different. I, it's I feel like there's a inherent bias to if you're attracted to certain aspects of this work, then you're you probably lean more one way than another. Right. But it's a big sandbox. Um, but I think ultimately everyone's looking for connection here in, in this, but, and not just connection, but like actual connection that was actually, and I'm, I'm dumping this into, um, this will probably already be in the wild by the time this episode goes. Cause this episode will go, I think after Thanksgiving. Um, but what's going to go in the wild is uh, the talk I gave in Denver. Mm. Uh, so it'll be behind a cut for like a week and then it'll, it'll let out. And, you know, it kicked off and people have heard this, you know, um, you know I start off by saying, you know, the internet promised that it would connect everybody, uh, but it didn't care about the quality of the connection. Mm. And that's sort of where immersive as a form comes in. Mm. And I think, I think even like the disconnect we have in the digital side of the marketplace is that the digital marketplace is ruled by quantity, quantity of connections, quantity of headsets, quantity of content that's been sold, etc. There's very little interest in the quality, the fidelity. Particularly, I like to I'm twisting it now to go from saying um, quality to saying fidelity mm. of connection. One, because it triggers everyone's Westworld thoughts. Sure. Ooh, fidelity. We're looking for fidelity. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're looking, we're testing for fidelity. Um, so there's that aspect. But also because I think it actually speaks to what we are looking for, which is not just some nebulous quality of connection, right. but for the fidelity of that 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 feeling that we really are connected mm. and maybe even not just the feeling that we are mean the simulacra, but that we actually are that's the connecting that's the rub through the fictive yeah. or through whatever it is. Right. Um, it, it can be surprising if someone, if someone hasn't played role playing games, if someone hasn't been an actor, you might be totally shocked and surprised to find yourself really connecting with another person in a fictive space. Mm. I could argue that if you are deeply religious, maybe you do this and don't realize it. You're connecting with your, your co-religionists in a fictive space that will, that would draw fire from folks. But I don't view that as a negative criticism. I think it is the most quintessentially human thing we do Mm. is to explore the mystery of what the fuck we are Mm. through our imaginations and through sharing our imaginations and sharing insight that we can't put into rational, reasonable language Mm. together. 
And the thing about the immersive path is that it is embodied. Mm. So we're not just doing it with our words, but right. we're doing it with our physical actions right. or our recreated physicalized actions. Like right. That's the weird thing about the digital side of it. Right. Well, one thing that I've increasingly been feeling like we need to just hammer home over and over and over again, to your point, is we're bringing predominantly lessons from video games and film to VR. Yeah. Immersive theater is finally getting its fingers into the, into the clay, and I'm excited about that. But I know there's been resistance on that front, and I know that there hasn't been maybe necessarily the best kind of synchronicities among the professionals themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's, it's this lesson from immersive theater that is the, the skeleton key for VR working, which is that the, the thesis should not be spectacle. God that's damn. film. Yeah. That's video games. Film does it in terms of, of size and in terms of packaging these like super high budget, you know, glorious, epic, hypersaturated visions. I'm speaking to Hollywood, obviously. I'm not talking about sort of yeah. indie cinema. Well, um, if Avengers isn't three hours long, I'm gonna be upset. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's these it's these tent pole, see all your favorite actors, you know looking a different kind of way, embodying either exactly what you expect them to or the opposite of what you expect them to in the most heightened stakes. Video games, I mean, you know, everybody's talking about Red Dead Redemption 2. So video games manifest that in a smaller, in a silver screen kind of way, but they do it more in scope of world. Red Dead Redemption, you can just like ride around ad infinitum. Oh, I just started playing it last night. It's it's already, I'm intimidated by how freaking massive it is. I yeah. was like... God, we spent like five minutes on foot to go rescue John Marston. And I was like, are you kidding me? But also like, this is amazing. But are you kidding me? I was also very tired. So, but yeah, so, so those, it, that's what I want those to be. I'm not, I'm not asking them to not be that. Right. Immersive spaces need to be intimate. They need to mm. reconnect me to myself and they, they need to connect me to other people. They need to connect me to things that are not human at all. Um, and it's a, it's a, like, it's a cellular thing, you know, it's like Ooh. you can make, you can make an intimate space. That's just a living room. No people. How do we, I'm thinking of what magic leap is doing. I'm thinking of what meow wolf's playing with maybe with the leap. I'm thinking about what folks like, you know, over at all, was it no, not alt space VR? Maybe it is. Well, where's, where's Evelie Scott? Uh, alt space. Uh, alt space. Okay, yeah. so I'm thinking about what alt space is doing. Um, how do we, how do we make it sustainable that you've got this intimacy and this need of the market for, for the scale, right? Like it won't, it won't be allowed to exist if it can't at least sustain itself in a nonprofit way. Cause I could see a world where the nonprofit takes over this because it is a valid domain until someone figures out how to really make money on it. I can also see a version where someone cracks the nut and probably through a lot of sandboxing and just empowering people to play together. Minecraft, right? Um, create space for those intimacies. To there, happen. there are little pockets of it already happening. So the, the top level answer is just, um, you know, we'll have to see what happens when quest launches. Cause there has been such a, an economic barrier and there still will be one, but for fewer people now, 
um, because a $400 standalone headset, obviously, and um, there's a bunch of others, both named and unnamed right now, that are going to be coming down the pipeline um, in the next couple of years. So it's going to be an interesting new wave. Um, so, you know, but we'll leave that we'll leave that there. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's thinking that it's going to be Quest versus some Vive product as if this was... Xbox versus PlayStation, uh, item for item, right? Well, the interesting thing is that Vive, where people, here's Vive's little sneaky thing, is Vive has Vive Wave, which means where Oculus is a, a closed ecosystem, let's take the Apple Windows model, mm. where Quest is a closed, it, Quest is the flagship product of a closed ecosystem, theoretically, Vive could have any number of standalones on Vive Wave if it plays by Vive Wave rules. So yes, there's Vive Focus, and yes, Vive Focus is more expensive than Quest, and right now lacks some of the functionality that Quest has. I think by 2019 that won't be the case anymore. But any number of other standalones, including those from China, India, Taiwan, Southeast Asia, where they could be made more rapidly and more cheaply, could all be part of Vive Wave. So if Vive becomes the de facto platform for standalones in Asia, they actually not only stand a chance, but they could be setting themselves up for doing something really interesting. Now, that being said, they're going to have to survive the window of time when Oculus is stomping all over them. Right. I like both of these companies and a lot of people at both these companies. I have the fortunate position of standing on the sidelines and rooting for both of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of in a similar position in that I want to see the most robust ecosystem possible. And I exactly. don't think we get that with one eclipsing the other entirely. Exactly. I think even in the early R&D stages, we've seen them both push each other as friendly rivals and then do even do other things going forward. I mean, it, it does really sound like it's it's Apple versus Microsoft. It's 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 Apple versus Google. It's Android versus iPhone. Yeah. So it's really a question of like who's there's who's there's lots of little binaries and yeah. um, it's it's going to be interesting because always two there must be a right. master mm. and a prince. No, yeah, yeah. sorry, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, totally. And it's yeah. and in this case, it's like there are these there's you know the kind of yin and yang of of VR AR and uh, they are both different but deeply related and and rooted in each other and lessons that the other has learned, but um, you know like. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into too much inside baseball. What I'll say about your original question is we're seeing it play out and work in a number of different ways that I think are really telling about what the future of VR will be. One, rec room. People have met in rec room and have gotten married because of relationships they developed in rec room. What rec room does that's so interesting, and this is sort of proven out in Jessica Outlaw's research by the way shout out Jessica Outlaw and all of her research read it um where basically what she what Jessica Outlaw found in bringing non-VR people like architects into immersive spaces is their immediate criticisms were around VR um developers or whoever was behind a given world not setting any intention or giving any clear vector for what the space is for what you're supposed to do etc so we're starting to see that play out in a place like Rec Room where it's slightly gamified. It's not gamified like duke it out and kill each other. It's gamified in like, hey, go have fun and play games with each other. 
And in the course of doing that, you reveal these, as you're saying, fictive sides of yourself because you're playing a game. Mm. But that also reflect back on yourself, the way that acting inevitably reflects some some shard of, of you. Um, and so that's really interesting. You have something like what Ava's doing, where you have somebody that's descending into alt space VR at random hours and pulling them into a unique environment with a tarot app and asking for their trust, <clears throat> excuse me, um, to go on this journey. Now that doesn't scale necessarily, but it does speak to that kind of deep intimacy. And then on the full opposite end of the spectrum, you have Beat Saber, which is actually a deeply intimate game. Um, which is also a lot of fun to watch people play if you've got a oh one hundred percent yeah like that's the number one thing to do at Two Bit Circus is get the cabana going with your friends and watch particularly newbies who know how to dance play right. Beat Saber because right. it's like oh it was better than bowling because you're like sitting there rooting for people right like it's amazing right and it's got that beautiful aspect of like you're competitive with your friends you've got music playing like if you can do that game alone or in groups and it's always good. Yeah. If you're like, as long as you can like watch it, right. You, you couldn't just watch someone like right, just right. waving around without being able to see the monitor side. The irony is when you're watching somebody from a standpoint where you can't see the screen, mm -hmm. it looks, there's something so interesting about the motions don't look nearly as sabery. Like when mm. you can see the screen and the sabers, it looks kind of, it kind of transplants them. Yeah. Um, but when you're, um, sorry, all good uh when you actually have the screen it looks really impressive and really interesting yeah and the thing about that game is that it's actually very simple it's the it's the attention to detail that makes mm -hmm. it intimate it's that every if you notice every little design element is completely i mean it's, they're perfect right yeah. like there's always room for sort of overall improvement but if you actually kind of look at these, at these individual pieces, at the songs that were made, you know, exclusively for this game, um, at the, the way that you get the, the haptic feedback you get in the controllers, the way that the, the, when you start to develop the language of how to play the game and you see the leaderboards and you have the section with your friends and, and the global, all, every single piece is designed to make you feel like kind of a badass, even mm. when you're not very good. Yeah. Um, because like, like, like I'm saying, you're kind of gated when you first see, at least when I played, I would first be gated to seeing my friend's scores on the leaderboard mm -hmm. and be like, Oh, I'm pretty close. Even though I'm far, you look at the global leaderboard, you're like, you know, way down the ranks. But I used that game. There's the first time in my life I used a game as VR fitness. Um, I'd never actually done that. I'd, I'd done all the experiences and I, and I think a lot of them are really great. But I'd never been so compelled that I would play it until I was so exhausted that my body wasn't doing it right, that I was dripping in sweat, that I had to buy a new face guard for my Oh, wow. Because it was gross. God, I'm looking forward to this. I'm like, I, I love it every time I play it. Um, I'm so glad that it's just going to be a system seller for things like Quest and The Focus. Like totally. Wh whoever has it is like, this is the thing. It's like, ooh, who had Tetris, right? It's like, you know, <laughs> who's got the Tetris? Right. You know, I, well, I mean, technically... PlayStation VR has Tetris effect, but like right, that's, no, no. that's neither here nor the there. The Tetris of now, not, yeah, yeah, not no, the, the Tetris franchise. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, intimacy. That's where we were. We went into, that's what we need. Yeah. That's what we need. Um, people want to feel people. We don't need to dose people on higher degrees of like, I got it actually. This is formulating right now. We don't need to dose people on higher degrees of, wow, we need to dose people on higher degrees of, whoa, 
Nice. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Boom. Um, let's, let's talk a bit about Magic Leap. All right. Um, I finally got to play around with it. Um, as everyone notes, the field of view is, yeah. right? Like there's, there's, but this is also, this is a dev kit that has been, they're such an interesting company in that their vision is so big. And their vision is sort of encapsulates. And if you look at who they've managed to bring in, right? Neil Stevenson, Sean Stewart, Weta, like they have not lacked for grabbing the most interesting minds. Austin Grossman, uh, tons of VFX people. Come back to Neil Stevenson again. Andy Circus. Andy Circus. Yeah. Like they're bringing in folks who have long been dreaming or long been making the future in a way that is rock solid. And what the hardware can do right now is it can give you, you know, two postage stamps worth of the future uh, sliced across your eyes like Jordi LaForge's visor. And that gap between what it can do and what it one day could do is maybe even worse (laughs) than the gap between it doesn't exist and what it can do. Right. Cause now that there's a real thing, I just wonder how many people are going to be deeply crestfallen. And I say this as someone who was long skeptical of what they were doing, got it on his face and said, Okay, they know what they're doing. They're they're going the right way. The field of view is totally an issue, but they're going the right way. What's your impression on all this? So I track with you on vision versus uh, what's available, and I'll sort of I'll speak all around that with all the criticism and com- complimentary uh, content baked in. Right. They definitely have done the best job, including Oculus, of presenting a vision of immersive media as something, one, pun intended, magical. Mm. Something that's something that's um They are like magical of the body. Yeah. Not like you will have a smart brain on your head. But like mm. but but you will be able to engage with your body and it's like it's magical and, and it can be ephemeral, it can be permanent, it can be liquid, it can be solid. Um and I'm I'm deeply appreciative of that. Within that, they're also presenting visions for how mixed reality would play out at the level of the city. Yeah. Um, which is just an important way of thinking. And it's bigger than this will be cool for games or this will be cool for enterprise or this will be cool for whatever. Yeah. Um, there's actually a term- idea that the data layer right. exists, right? Right. You know, it's like, yeah. Sorry, you were going to say. Oh, I just, to your point, I... Um, I recently was introduced to this term that I will butcher the French, but it's presque vu. Are you familiar with this? Nope. So there's deja vu, the feeling of being somewhere, having been there before, but yes. you don't know when. There's jama vu of what is it? It's the opposite of that. So it's feeling. Jama. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So jama vu is the feeling that you've never been somewhere that you know that you've been. Oh, Prescavu. Prescavu is this feeling that something is 
always visible, but just out of reach. I'm doing this. I'm poeti- poeticizing this, but that's the idea that, oh, okay, that you can, yeah. that you can just see at the it. Peripheral vision. It's exactly. at the edge of your peripheral vision. Right. Yeah. Um, and like a night terror, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Like everything that's always haunted you. Yeah. Um, but that was brought to me. I can't take credit for this. That was brought to me in a discussion of what technology kind of always is. It's always presenting this vision on the other side of what's actually there, what's actually possible. Mm. And the irony with Prescavu is that what makes it so accurate, if I'm even presenting it correctly, is that technology never quite becomes the thing that it sets out to be. It becomes something slightly different, equally interesting, but slightly different. And so like... The old William Gibson, the street has its own use. Exactly. Exactly. See, and I mean, oh man, increasingly it becomes apparent that that man is from the future. Um, Yeah, we're living through the jackpot right now, but let's not talk about that. (laughs) You know what I'm talking? You've read? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look it up. Do your homework. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus. Anyway, so to your point, <laughs> I, got, I got lost. I got lost. Yeah, Jesus. so did I. Don't worry <sighs> about it. Okay, Prescavu. The funny thing is I'm actually very optimistic about the future, flying in the face of all the data that I'm getting, both in terms of what the predictors, i.e. the jackpot, would indicate if 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 manifested in our world. Right. Um, and in terms of literally the indicators I'm getting on the ground. But it's like it's almost like, like a firestorm we just had. Yeah, man, I had not, I did not, I had not done my homework about the Santa Anas because I am not from California. Oh, so when I learned about the Santa Anas, I was like, oh, so there's like demon winds. There's like demon winds in this yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. I read uh, I Joan Didion's. Here, so. Yeah, you know, I yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. So like reading Joan Didion's breakdown, her like sort of dry. She's like a Santa. She's like she feels like the force of Santa Ana writing about the Santa Anas. Mm. Um, and it was just like, oh fuck, and like not to a lot of really dark stuff happened and like, that's not to be distilled down into some thing, but it was just, it gave me this other data point of just like, wow, this is like, I didn't realize this was a force here. Yeah. Um, I mean, to your point about optimism, right? Like I think often if there's a, and this is, this is from late in his life. It might've been, I think it was in the nineties, uh, Robert Anon Wilson, uh, like interview. And he talked about how, and you know, and for those who don't know Robert Anton Wilson, he was a big you know, counterculture figure. Sort of wrote a lot about the Illuminati trilogy. He was a satirist, but also like very serious about the countercultural side of things. And, um, you know, you an expert on conspiracy theories, but he like didn't take them seriously. But at the same time, like such an expert that you saw that there there are some weird patterns in in the world. But he was sort of very, in the way a satirist is, cynical about humanity. Um, in a couple of ways, but still saw himself and and deliberately as an optimist, um, despite seeing all the problems of the world. And he said, like, I'm an optimist by choice. I choose to be an optimist mm. because otherwise you're not going to, essentially, you're not going to fight for right. a better future right. if you just cash it in. We're facing nightmares. And the one solace I take from the fact that there's Video footage of fire natos. Like we regularly have fire natos in California now. Columns of flame moving towards people. Right. Fucking biblical. Is that a significant portion of the population does not look at the and just go like, yay, the apocalypse is coming. No, a significant portion of, of the population looks at that and says, we gotta fucking do something. Yeah. Right? This is about survival and we're the stewards of this world, whether you're religious or not. Like 
it's our job to not let there be fire tornadoes, right? <laughs> you know, fire tornadoes is that's on us. Right. That's on us. It's on us. Right. Um, At least this time. Probably all the time. Like maybe there was sin. Um, no, uh, but I see, I see the stirrings, and look, luck can go wrong. But I see the stirrings of a better tomorrow, out of the need for survival. And in a weird way, I'm thankful that this is no longer something that's off in the future. Like our entire lives is like, well, in the 2050s, we're gonna right. have to do. Nope, nope, nope. It's now. Get it done now. Well, this is that. This is the you know. It's the so often quoted as to be kind of hackneyed, but McLuhan's medium is a message mm. always comes back to me, and I yeah. think people don't. I think that gets left in its in its obvious interpretation, but I think there's another one. Um, you know, so it's this idea that um, the, the 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 pace of change that any new quote unquote medium facilitates is its message. Um, so now we've opened up media that we're taking reality and we're making reality the medium, Mm. which means that we will now be able to move at a speed at an unprecedented speed, something that we've never even fathomed in the same way that world war one you know, you had French soldiers marching out in Napoleonic uniforms with red feathers on their on their helmets to face German like cannons, right? Machine same, guns, yeah, machine guns, but also these like these like cannons that were. I mean, I'm gonna get the numbers wrong, but just they took they took miles to transport like one cannon. It went from being like Napoleon's cannons that were the you know the sort of heralded cannons. The mortars for the German cannons, what, 70, 80 years later, were bigger than those cannons, than than Napoleon's cannons. But military technology had just been kind of moving in these fits and starts. Anyway, in a similar way, we're barreling into this new reality. And now all of these new technologies, like right now we're talking about VR, AR, but there's also, you know, synthetic biology. There's everything that's happening in automation, AI, machine learning, auto ML, things like this. Everybody brings up blockchain. These are all the, the, the metaphoric or emotional significance of these technologies is what's interesting to me. You know, blockchain being this idea that we can decentralize power and we don't have to inherit structures the way they were. Artificial intelligence meaning that we can live as a plural rather than a singular species. VR, AR being a sensory apparatus to engage with a digital world that's been around for 50 years but been behind a window. All of these things are coming together. And so whatever we're about to face, we will be able to address it in a way so much more rapidly than we ever could. That is both terrifying and also kind of exhilarating. What I find interesting is that we're empowered to go as fast as we want. And what I see folks doing is slowing down. Mm. Right. Slow food was the first slow culture thing. But to go back to Red Dead Redemption for a second, five minutes trudging through the snow to get to John Marston with nothing but hills and snow to like look at cinematic vistas, beauty, a conversation with someone else. 
punctuated by a wolf attack at the end of it, right? So suddenly then some drama. But this rhythm of slow and open and vista and nature and calm and full moments of just being, punctuated by some drama once in a while. I think of where folks have been taking immersive theater in L.A. this year, and I see some of that. I see some like Rochester in 1996, where there's these slow moments recreating, you know, a van ride, you know, with a, a father and their kid in 1996, just moments of quiet, right? You know, this ability to just be with each other without pursuing something. We've been chasing after quantity of connection for so long mm. that we forget that sometimes the most important thing is just being quiet in a room with a, with a person. Mm. Right. And we know what screen time does to us. It F's us up. We know we should stop looking at screens about two hours before you go to sleep. If we want to spin down, we don't necessarily do it. I'm starting cause there's a book I really want to read right now. I'm starting to read a little in the morning and try and read the last thing at night paper. Just slow it down a little bit. Take the time. Enjoy it, right? Like, we've been going for so long, so much of modernity, modernity, I'm having trouble speaking these days, um, <laughs> has been um, has been a byproduct of the uh, irrationalization of rationality. Uh, or the irrationality, no, the, excuse me, the irrationality of rationalization, mm. which is a, something I book up. I think I've talked to you about it before. There's a book called The, the Globalization of mm. Society, right? It was written in the 90s. Um, and it basically put forth that as our tools enabled us to move faster and thus uh, give us more free time, we instead became obsessed with the tools becoming faster and we didn't take advantage of the free time. So, you know, fast food became TV dinners. TV dinners became Grubhub ordering, right? Zero. We want zero. We want everything to be now, 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 as opposed, and it was all bought, brought to us by rational processes. And I think we finally get to the point where we've, we're going to, we, we've run out. We've run out of speed. We've gone as fast as we can. I mean, granted, let's see, Wi-Fi is still too fucking slow. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but we've run out, right? We're almost there. Like, when when we get to 6G or 8G mesh networks and we can uh, live stream a Warriors Android game uh, from the moon in real time, right, and watch... Uh, septuagenarian Steph Curry, uh, <laughs> you know, drop five pointers from you know the Mons Olympus or whatever, um, Olympia Mons. Sorry, uh, when we can watch that in full VR, right? We will have pushed it as far as we can possibly go. But between here and there, there is increasingly amount of mo bandwidth mo problems. Like <laughs> the quality isn't getting any better the quality of experience isn't getting any better just because of the raw speed An emphasis on the quality of experience qua the quality of experience to, to put it in economic terms. I think of Daniel Kahneman's note about people measuring happiness. And like about 10 years ago, you know, he, he made the note that, you know, up to $60,000 a year in terms of income it, with inflation, I'm sure it's gone up to like 85 by now. I know it would be for me. Um, as you go up, 
the the arc, right? People self-report unhappiness gets more and more until oh, right, about sixty thousand right, dollars a year, right. and then it levels out. And then right. he says, "You've never seen like a curve go so flat." It doesn't matter how much money you were making past that point, back in those days. Right. You did not self-report being more happy. It yeah. was just more money, more problems. Right. Right. And then at a certain point, that curve drops. Like you actually have, you actually have gotten so much money that now you're concern is all about not getting your kid you know taken hostage and ransomed or like not having family members just come at you for money all the time or not trusting people anymore yeah so anyway yeah probably never drops that low like it's not like you know like oh once you're at 15 million dollars a year suddenly you're like feeling as crappy as someone who's you know under the poverty line that's that has less to do with finances and more to do with get a better shrink you can afford one um, you can afford a lot. You can afford a lot. All the best drugs. <laughs> um, stop worrying. Pop a pill. Um, <laughs> suddenly I have a headache. I'm like, it's probably the beer. Um, oh, we've gloriously gone afield. We were talking about Magic Leap at one point. Yeah, we were talking about Magic we're talking Leap. About Magic That's Leap. A... Well, to cap that, <laughs> Ma- Magic Leap uh, is, is the, the current headset is very impressive, but it's also not a whale, you know, jumping and splashing in a stadium, um, or robots. Well, there are robots. It's not robots climbing out of walls as was pitched in 2016. Let's say, um, my understanding is the thing that has people still really believing in the future of magic leap is there is a, uh, a prototype that right now is the size of like a microwave on your face, but that is the full vision of what you want it to be. Um, because of the necessary hardware involved to achieve that. And now the, the gambit is to miniaturize. Um, we'll see. In the meantime, I think what's exciting about Magically being out is you're going to have a bunch of developers who actually show you what this thing can do. You know, there's like six, five or six experiences available on the, you know, the base, the base Magically that you get. Tanandi in particular is really incredible. Um, it's a Sigaros kind of particle experience. Um, and actually really gives you a sense of like one version of a, of a Magic Leap experience that you would choose to go do over some other thing, which to me is the mark. Like we're not with, in VR AR, we're not competing with other VR AR experiences. We're competing with Snapchat, oh, yeah. Instagram, hanging out with your friends. And if it can't level up there, then it's not really there yet. Yeah. And uh, as I mentioned, there's a, there's only a small number of VR experiences that I think are there yet. Beat Saber. Beat Saber. And also, you know, Job Simulator. There's mm-hmm. there's also cinematic experiences like Dear Angelica. Um, so, oh, yeah, the, uh, a lot of the cinematic stuff. And and The Void. I really love The Void. Oh, The Void's incredible. Yeah. The Void's incredible. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of other interesting location-based experiences coming up. I got to tell you, I went to Tokyo after we were in China, mm-hmm. and I went to VR Zone Shinjuku. And Mario Kart VR is there. Wait, what? And that is one of the best VR experiences I've ever done in my life. Wait, wait, wait. It's like a five minute, you literally get into a cart. They um, strap, they're not gloves. They just strap little sensors on your hands. Wait, wait. So as you're operating your cart, you pick your character, you're operating your cart. You can reach up and grab uh, shells, uh, no. hammer, and no. bananas. You can throw them. No. You're with your friends. No. Or you're with strangers. And it is does does amazing. the cart spin around at all, or is it just? Um, to be honest, I don't remember if visually the cart spins around. I have to assume that it does. You you don't physically spin around in the cart you're sitting Boo. in. Um, but it was compelling enough that I don't remember one way or another. Um, 
So, yeah. Probably detail I should have paid attention to, but it was a ton of fun. Well, I mean, in, in a five minute run, like you're not going to get that. It's it's like it's like if you go through the void once, you're like whoa, and then if you go back, you're starting to pick up on the little right. details because you're starting to see, you start to see around the corner some of the magic trick. Right. It's still an amazing magic trick, but you're starting right. to see around. The corner. Are you saying that intentionally or mad the magic trick component? Because that's a big part of the yeah. ethos. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. No, like very much so. Look, cool. I mean, I know Curtis is like, you know, he was a illusion designer and still is for like David Copperfield and Chris Angel and like all those folks. And, and also there's the whole Nicodemus thing, which I still haven't gone to do Nicodemus. I really oh, want to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I need to do that. Um, if it's still running, I'm sure they're going to keep it a rep because apparently it's really good. And, and what I found out, a couple of things I learned about Nicodemus or when, or when I found it, a couple of things I wound up learning because uh, Juliet Benarila, our friend, Sometimes a uh, collaborator, she got to go to the press day for it. And that's where um, Curtis was there along with uh, Tracy Hickman, who uh, Tracy Hickman is, is his father, uh, which I did not know. And um, Tracy Hickman, for those who don't know, and uh, some of you really know, um, one of the major writers for Dungeons and Dragons in the oh, 80s. Oh, wow. Created Dragonlance, helped create Ravenloft, if memory serves. Like... Tracy Hickman was like Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss were or Weiss. Um, they they were, and Tracy Hickman, one, the writer on Nicodemus, right? Which I do not know why they're not advertising that left and right. Like from the creator, maybe there's licensing reasons, but it's mm. like from the person who brought you freaking Dragonlance. It's Nicodemus. <laughs> like every D and D nerd would be like, Tracy Hickman has created a walkable D and D module. I'm gonna go. I still haven't gone yet because I've been running around so much since I learned that. Mm. But then uh, there, uh, Ralph uh, breaks VR, and I just wanted for the record, I'm very disappointed that they went with breaks the internet and not wrecks the internet because it's right there. Wreck it, Ralph. It's not break it, Ralph. It's wreck it, Ralph. Do you think there's a rationale there? Because breaks the internet is what you say. Someone so broke the internet. So they're going Right, with but that. I mean, yeah, that must have been wreck. a lot of meetings. Must oh my, there's tons meetings. of meetings and I, I think they picked wrong. But so Ralph breaks VR is happening and um, like they're, they're doing the big push around it right now. Uh, initial impressions are coming out. I'm excited to go just because they're going to let us do the feed the kitty and the bunny milkshake or pancake. I'm all about that. The second I saw that in the trailer, I was just like, I want that tablet game. I want it now. <laughs> they don't have to make anything else. Just give me that game. Give me, give me that game. <laughs> um, we were listening off all the things that are exciting is where we were kind of going. Right. As a, if we? my memory serves, this was the way the last episode we did went as well. They always go like this with us. That's, That's what fair. we do. That's fair. We did tend a little bit. I did not manage to bring it back around uh, to the beer. I failed. Can you can you throw me some some alley oops to help us get there? No, no, not really. It's it's too it's too much of a stretch. Coco VR. No, Um, it's wouldn't be that. No, there's something very there's there's. I'll tell you afterwards specifically what it was. Oh, you don't get to know everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) There's a personal anecdote Mm. part of it. You know, there's somebody yeah. out there who knows. Uh oh, not that way. It's the one, way. the it's one fine. that got away. No, the, the beer, the fellow, the fellow beer drinker who got away. No, nothing <laughs> like that. Not really. Um, so, but yeah, uh, we'll full story later. Um, 
what, as we head towards uh, the 60th minute, um, what should, this is, a, this is actually, I just came up with actually solid question here. Tend to do that. What should the live immersive aficionado, the person who loves immersive theater, the person's into escape rooms, maybe a particularly person who's like full culture, like likes a theme bar. Mm. For those of them who might be skeptical about the VR side of stuff, what should they be looking forward to and getting excited about in the VR AR world? If anyone knows it's you. Well, I'm going to speak. I'm going to well, speak. Maybe you and Elena, but What's that? Maybe you and Yelena, but yeah. Right. No, there's 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 a there's a healthy handful of us who who I think I would trust to answer this question. Um and we'd all have different answers. So let that say what it says. Um for me, what I'm really keen on right now, and this is like without tipping my hat too much with what you'll be seeing from me in twenty nineteen, is I think all of us should start to look at our respective pursuit as a piece of the puzzle, not the whole damn puzzle. And that applies to how we talk about the industry, but that also applies to the events that we put together. Mm. It all comes back to what we do. Like augmented reality at the end of the day will ultimately fill the role that your smartphone currently fills. And in fact, for a long time, augmented reality will fulfill its role on your smartphone. It'll be functional. It'll be popping in and out. It'll be like little bite-sized social, little bite-sized game, little bite-sized pragmatism. It will also find its way into other things, but you know, I'm, I'm making generalizations. Virtual reality will, at its best, be small doses of super high fidelity, as you're saying, experience. Now, you can have that be a standalone thing, and that's pretty cool. Or you could create an experience where it's a portal into another part of the space that you're already in, that you've been in for 20 minutes. Mm. Um, low hanging fruit example, because we're in LA a haunted house. So you've had to go through a haunted house and um, you've learned some things about that space. Throw on an Oculus quest. All of a sudden you're in the exact same space tracked with photogrammetry. And now there are little windows, little glowing windows floating in the space, same exact space. Walk over, kind of duck your head under, put your head through the window, boom, you're in a flashback from 50 years ago in that space, learning something about it. That experience, that VR experience, isn't necessarily this amazing standalone experience. But all of a sudden, you've now turned the VR headset into a reality portal. And when you start to think about what you could do when you integrate you know, things like projection mapping, things like immersive theater, things like virtual reality, all into standalone events. What we're talking about then is the kind of stuff that will truly have people feeling like they felt not just the intimacy of the in-person immersive theater experience, but the like utter baffling magic that the digital side can bring. Cause right now the digital side can make that magic manifest mm. and we have to definitely work around constraints, but that's, kind of the game is like you have to work within the sandbox you have yeah so for the immersive theater folks my hope is that it's seen as as a tool a, a piece to add to the arsenal and in fact there's a lot of really motivated people in virtual reality augmented reality 
looking to make those connections and they also don't know where to look. Both sides don't really know where to look. I'm only just beginning to have the threads, mostly through you, to and from. Mm. And, you know, we all belong in conversation. Yeah. So, um, and God will, I mean, we made IDS in part to do some of that work, but a singular event and granted, I think, I think a singular event in a room that has a, a, a maximum capacity of about like 250 people. The beautiful thing is it's not enough mm. anymore. Right. We we're already beautifully a year in hell last year, even like it was a room with like, we could only fit like 120, 150 people in when we packed in the speakers and like a couple of invited guests. We could have two, three, four, five times and probably still not get all the people who would be interested and all the people who belong in the conversation at some level of it. So that means whatever we do going forward beyond year two, we have to get bigger, not just in year over year, but over the course of the year. And God knows we're, we're thinking that way. I mean, getting these folks in space, you're totally right. There is no one event. There's no one person. There's no one project that is going to solve it all. That is going to make the thing. And if there was, then what we have is very small indeed. <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't, it's, and I know that, we all look to the iPhone and think, well, but, but there's the iPhone and it's like, but that's just, that was just the culmination of a good 10 years of from Palm and handspring and a bunch of blackberries Newton. and Newton, like a whole generation of technology that culminated in this thing that right. then started a whole nother generation of technology and, and altered a lot about the culture and it's the culture that matters, not the object. And the, and the proof to your point is what made the iPhone the iPhone is the App Store. It's not. I mean, don't get me wrong. The iPhone precipitated all the, this new wave of manufacturing that we had never seen. You know, yeah. gyroscopes and, and, you know, whatever. Um, but what it did was it made a home for new content, which is metaphorically speaking, the culture. Yeah. And we shouldn't expect it to operate the same way this time, but the metaphor holds. Yeah. Like you're saying, it's building that culture around, wrapping up some of these threads, looking at magic, what Magically was trying to do, bearing in mind that there's this aspect of like presque vu to any technology, bearing in mind the constraints, bearing in mind the ways that these different things, what they're emotionally trying to do or psychically trying to do, alongside maybe other fully fleshed out, fully realized pieces of technology or, or practices, i.e. immersive theater. That's whatever the answer is. It's in that pool. It's just gonna be exciting to see what people do. And that is where we're going to end. Jesse, thank you for uh, dropping by the house. Thanks for having me. Drinking some beer, waxing philosophic. <laughs> we should do this more regularly. Look forward to it. One 
once again want to thank Jesse Damiani for being our guest on the show. Um, Jesse writes all over the place, uh, but one of the ways you can connect with him is by uh, checking out his Twitter at Jesse Damiani on Twitter. That is one way. Uh, he's also he's he's anywhere you might expect Jesse Damiani to be. He's there. Right, so Forbes, VR Scout, um, here and there and everywhere. Um, hey, uh, we waxed philosophical a lot on the show today. So, um, and my brain's kind of empty. I don't have anything to add. My brain's kind of empty. <laughs> yeah, someone's gonna loop that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of like racking my mind. Is there something other? I mean, I told you about Chain. Told you about Novo Live, IDS. Um, you know, there's just this, there's a wall of work between now and the end of the year. That's the main thing I know. Um, we've got some stuff in the queue uh, on the website. Uh, the website's been just rocking this week. Like, oh my god, um, we were like slam full of stuff before Wednesday, and we haven't stopped. And uh, I don't think we ever get to stop. <laughs> we never get to stop. Um, I don't want to go down the depressive route of like talking about things like rookie mag closing or Mike being sold off to bustle to then just be hollowed out. Um, but I do want to point out that, um, you know, that Patreon is important because it's one day when we are self-sufficient, um, the Patreon is going to be the thing that is the uh, bulwark against such things happening to us. Um, yeah, uh, let's let's not let's not think about the state of the media or the world in general. Um, if you are in L.A., keep an eye out for those tickets for Chained. Um, opening up on January 1st. I believe their plan, if I if I interpreted Instagram correctly, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not sure how this thing works. I believe their plan is that they're uh, issuing new tickets, new slots are going to open up every day. Like they're going to roll out the slots. So if you miss it on one day, maybe we'll get on the next, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, just keep an eye out uh, for when those drops happen. Um, what else is there? That's like it right now. I'm sure there'll be more later. Uh, we've got another episode in the can uh, next week and for next week. Uh, we're inevitably going to do some end of the year stuff um, to get the gang together and talk as we usually do. And we've got that live, uh, which I got a program. So, um, you know, uh, it's going to be kind of kind of a soft landing as we, we come out of 2018 here. Um, which is just you know, what we need. A nice, gentle, soft landing. Okay, uh, let's do all the stuff that we always do at the end of the show. Uh, <laughs> the music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Vubman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Uh, and this month we are brought to you in part by the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts. And seriously, if you know someone who would make a good faculty member, uh, you know, go poke them. Life is an adventure. You never know where it's going to lead. Um, contact us. We're at no proscenium on Twitter and Facebook. We're at no underscore proscenium on Instagram, which is honestly maybe one of the best ways to keep up with what's going on because Catherine rocks that thing. Uh, I'm at Noah J. Nelson on Twitter. Uh, you can always send your pitches, uh, meaning uh, if you have uh, a show that you want us to include in the newswire or anything else, pitches at noproscenium.com. The Patreon, where you help support us, and indeed, you know this is the year that no pro goes pro, uh, and and that's 
kind of halfway done at this point, but not through the Patreon as I was hoping because it'd just be like, it'd be nice if everyone, but no. Instead, it's like No Pro Goes Pro, Pro by Noah piecing together like a weird freelance career on top of everything else. So, um, you know, maybe maybe think about, you know, some money in the kitty so uh, we can spend more time on the site and not just, you know, do the hustle job so we can do the site. I'm just suggesting patreon.com slash no is where you make that possible. All right. Um, yeah, I want to drink some more coffee. <laughs> I need it. I need it this week. I'm no Nelson until next time. I'll see you at the show.